Welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm Rick Klein, ABC News Political Director. It's been pretty much an insane week in politics. We've got some interesting guests for you, including Terry Sullivan, who is Marco Rubio's campaign manager, and Sasha Eisenberg of Bloomberg, who may be the only person in the United States, maybe the entire world, who actually understands the process in which these delegates are actually chosen, who they are, and how they will ultimately determine who the Republican nominee is. The delegates don't even know that. So I guess Sasha will have <laughs> to explain it to it. them as well. No, it's crazy. You actually talk to Republican so-called insiders, and they don't know what's going on. It's so unprecedented. But before we get to any of that and the incredible low that we hit this week with candidates' wives now in the crosshairs, uh, we're going to talk about all that. But I've got to start, Rick, with what I think may be my favorite campaign surrogate of all time, uh, Lindsey Graham. I don't dislike Ted. Ted and I have a lot of differences. I'm getting better at this. So, uh, <laughs> you know what I feel? I feel like you guys are like a buddy club movie. Choice. What can I say? <laughs> One, he's not completely crazy. Good. Uh, he's so really partially crazy. Partially crazy. Well, hey, that works in Washington. <laughs> you got Bernie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, can't not, say not fully crazy. Burn. Yeah, that's a tick. What else is a tick for him? What, what turns you on about Cruz? Uh, that he's not Trump. <laughs> that's and it? That, uh, <laughs> that's all you need? <laughs> and that he's a Republican. He will not, uh, we will not get completely killed. Okay, so Rick, that is Lindsey Graham, great senator from the state of uh, South Carolina, who uh, pronounced that, that Ted Cruz was probably his 15th choice uh, for president out of the, uh, I guess, the 17 that were actually running. Uh, but he is now endorsed, and is he actually helping raise money for Ted Cruz? Yeah, crazy as that sounds. He says he's likened one to being shot, the other to being poisoned. He says the benefit of Ted Cruz is that you're being poisoned. Maybe there's an antidote. So you get something there. It's kind of, it's, it's the whole Republican dilemma writ large. I mean, it's all right yeah. there. It's they, they've come around to now that Ted Cruz is the establishment choice because that's the only way to beat Donald Trump, an extraordinary series of events. You know, I spoke with Senator Cruz even earlier this week, and he was telling me, I, I always knew I'd be one of the last two standing, but he never thought he'd be up against Trump. That he did not see coming. I, and I don't think anyone in the Republican Party did, that we'd be here in a point where Lindsey Graham and Mitt Romney and Jeb Bush this week all coming out and saying, yeah, Ted Cruz is our guy. They're holding their nose. They're closing their eyes. They're covering their ears. Anything you can do to, 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 to reduce the taste in their mouths around this. And, and the fascinating thing about Lindsey Graham is if you listen to what else he has said uh, in the last uh, last couple of days, he has said that uh, Ted Cruz will probably lose in a general election. Uh, he has said that Ted Cruz would not be a particularly good president, uh, maybe maybe even a bad president. Um, and he has said that John Kasich would be a better president and a better candidate in the general election. Therefore, please vote for Ted Cruz. It's driving them nuts. But this is the scenario. And and the thing is, you know, we've said this before about Donald Trump. He was everybody else's problem until he became everybody's problem. And now it is literally too late to do anything about it. And that's why you have talk not just about how do you block him delegate by delegate in primaries and conventions, but how do you then engineer a convention that denies him the nomination? All of this is just kind of Hail Mary stuff. I mean, none, none of this is the direct route. Those options have essentially closed right now. You're left supporting the guy that they don't like uh, and or trying to find a way to, to deny the guy that's going to get more votes and more delegates than everyone else the nomination. So on the surface, it looks like we have this kind of coalescing 
around Ted Cruz by what we, I guess, still call the Republican establishment, do we? What, uh, um, no, this establishment, unestablished. Yeah. So so we have all of, all of that, but because you've had, as you mentioned, Jeb Bush, Mitt Romney, um, Lindsey Graham, you, you, you've had uh, the, the, the outside groups uh, seem to kind of come around, Club for Growth, uh, to support Ted Cruz. But I would still argue that the power brokers, the Republican power brokers, let's call them that instead, the people that have traditionally uh, been the big influencers in this process, uh, can, traditionally have, have been the, the big influencers from the Republican Party, are still deeply divided on this about who is the lesser of two evils, whether or not it is Trump or whether or not it is Ted Cruz. That, that's right. And John Kasich's still in the mix, too, which just complicates it. But you're right. You're not seeing the whole party coalesce behind Ted Cruz because you, you do have f- folks who are saying even now, look, Donald Trump's essentially a moderate. He would get things done. He would he'd go in there and he'd probably tone down some of the rhetoric. And by the way, he might have a better chance in the fall because at least he'd scramble some traditional coalitions. So this has been we've talked about the the kind of slow burn destruction of the Republican Party in this in this election cycle. They're staring down now the very real possibility of the party fracturing at its own seams, uh, a, a, an absolute uh, awful show potentially in Cleveland, and a, and a result that none of them are going to be very excited about in the fall. And by the way, even though you have this situation where Cruz can make a very forceful case that he is the only one with a prayer of stopping Donald Trump, uh, you know, it may not be much of a, of a chance, but, but he's, he's the guy that could actually stop him. Even now at this late mo- moment in this race, who is not coming out for Ted Cruz? You still don't have anybody in the United States Senate outside of Lindsey Graham and his friend Mike Lee. I mean, it's, it's, it's extraordinary. But I, I do want to go. We do have on the line, I believe, uh, Terry Sullivan, uh, who, of course, was campaign manager for Marco Rubio's presidential campaign. Terry, are you with us? Hey, yes, I am. How are you guys doing? Doing great. So what, what's your take on this. And by the way, it's great to have you here talking to us just as a an everyday American now. You are you are free of this campaign. <laughs> you can say whatever you want. Um, where do you see this headed? You know, it's um, uh, everyone, you know, I think you guys nailed it on the head. Everyone just kind of sat around and, and watched for a long while and thought it was somebody else's problem and, until it became everyone's problem. And the, um, uh, you know, Donald Trump is on a march towards 1237. And I think there has to be there would have to be some sort of change in trajectory uh, to stop that, to get it before the convention. Um, you know, him, if, if he doesn't get to 1237, he'll have uh, before the convention, he'll have real problems at the convention, not out of some sort of nefarious way or rule changing way to, to steal it from him. Just from the majority of people who go to those conventions are not Trump type people. I mean, these are the, the majority of convention delegates. Uh, get elected and have gone to, you know, our, our Romney delegates from 12 and McCain delegates from 08. It's not a, a Donald Trump it, it is, and, and we're going to try to understand exactly who these people are a little bit later uh, with, with Sasha Eisenberg. But when, let's go back to the, to the campaign for a second, to your campaign. During those days, those weeks after Jeb Bush dropped out, was there any expectation that he would come on and endorse Marco Rubio. I mean, now you have this extraordinary case which he, he has endorsed somebody that you know he despises, Ted Cruz. Was there any sense, did you guys think there was a chance that he was going to uh, endorse you before the Florida primary? You know, I don't want to speculate one way or the other in kind of the internal machinations of that, but, uh, but I do, or, or, or I guess oh, speculate wouldn't be the right word to comment <laughs> on Because you it, know but... the internal machinations. <laughs> right, right, right. There would be speculating for us, but I'm not going to comment on it. But, but I will say that, look, anybody who thinks that getting 
um, you know, elected official endorsements is the key to, to victory uh, this cycle had not been paying attention. Um, you know, we can talk about how many endorsements Ted Cruz has or doesn't have. He's got a heck of a lot more than, uh, than Donald Trump. Um, so it's, it is, I think it's, it's, it's fun horse race coverage to say who gets what endorsement. Um, but I don't, uh, to the average voter, it, it doesn't matter much. So, Ter- Terry, I know your old job just ended about a week and a half ago, but I want to give you a new job for the purposes of the discussion. Sure, okay, sure. You are managing the anti-Trump campaign right now. Right. How do you deploy resources? How do you strategize? Are you spending money? Are you working with the delegates? Are you just focused on the convention? What do you do over the next couple of months if we told you, Terry, all you have to do between now and July is deny Donald Trump the nomination? Yeah, look, well, it's, it's a couple of things. One, you, you do all of those things. You have to work delegates because you have to assume that if you're getting to a convention, that's what's most important. Um, but but I, the bigger thing is you've got to stop him from getting to 1237. And that becomes increasingly tough the way the map goes. And you can't do it, in my opinion, you can't do it through paid television, paid advertising. It's just not going to – you're not going to have the resources to uh, – kind of drive the message that you need to on pain and it needs to be unearned um, and that's going to be tough to do no one can command the kind of earned media attention that donald trump can has never been able to uh, every single week of the campaign um up till now he has gotten more earned media than every other candidate combined so and so what's left so, then and what's left in the playbook if you can't do paid ads you can't really compete on earned media do you, is it just stunts and spectacles or is it just hunker down for july at this point I think you hunker down. I think, you know, you try, try to win a state-by-state kind of thing. Look, I'm not optimistic that there is a way that you stop Donald Trump at this point. Um, it is, um, you know, it is, let's put it this way, I don't think anybody's figured out. If, if, there may be a way, but no one's figured out how to do it at this point. So I've got to ask you how the Republicans got in a situation where now, I mean, your, your guy's gone. Okay, so this is just these three that are left. And, and by my calculation, by the way, we've we've looked at the numbers here. It looks like Kasich would need roughly 120 percent of the remaining delegates uh, to to uh, to clinch the nomination. That's that's math. I'm not, I'm not yeah, good that's, at math, but that, that's that's hard, right? It's it's on the harder side. I okay. don't know. So so how how is it that you get to the point where the one guy in the race who consistently beats Hillary Clinton in a general election matchup? I mean, we had a Bloomberg poll this this week that showed. You know, Trump getting trounced, one of the latest, it is 54 to 36 against Hillary Clinton in the general election. Cruz getting beaten 51 to 42. And Kasich up 47 to 43 for Clinton. How is it that the one guy that has the experience that you would expect a president to have, you know, Congress, uh, two-term governor of, of, of a key state, how is it that he's like the one guy that everybody in your party uh, seems to be asking to get out of the race? Well, because... Marco Rubio dropped out a week ago and still has more delegates. <laughs> okay, than John Kasich. there is that. And I think okay. Rubio beat him in Arizona. Delegates. He actually yeah, beat him in Arizona. <laughs> so look, I mean, it's, it's, okay. It's, so what's wrong with your voters? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> look, it's, they're they're not buying what he's selling, um, and most people have figured that out, but not John Kasich. And the um, uh, in a time when voters are angry, and they're angry with the the establishment of our party. Uh, and they're angry with, with D.C., touting your record of, you know, 20 years in, in D.C. And, um, 
and how you know you're the you're the guy who's got the most government experience isn't really a a way to motivate voters right now. And and conversely, I mean, look, he's a moderate. I mean, you know, I think he used to be more conservative, but he is far to the left of where the base of our party uh, is at this time. Terry, I, I know you have to go, but before you do, I, I've got I want an entirely different subject. One thing before you go, because Rick just asked you to play the, uh, the the manager of the anti-Trump effort and give your your opinion on how you handle this. Here's a different one: crisis communication, which I know is something that uh, uh, that you're well versed in. Uh, we have this uh, scandal down here involving the governor of Alabama, a sex scandal. And I want to play a little clip of uh, of tape from his press conference uh, yesterday. Do you love Mrs. Mason? I love many members of my staff. In fact, all the members of my staff. Do I love more than I do others than I do, you know, some more than others? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So I've just never heard something like that. Um, he uh, He's accused of having a, a sexual relationship with his communications director, and he's announcing that he loves he loves many members of his staff. Is that... Uh, you know what? It's 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 uh, maybe he talked to uh, to Mark Sanford before uh, <laughs> before the press conference. The um, look, you know, it it, it is uh, frankly it's it's something that the voters seem to care less and less about um, in the in modern politics. They don't really, you know, they uh, they 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 care more about what you're doing to them than what you're doing to someone else. Um, <laughs> there you go. There you to go. try to put it as politely as possible. <laughs> All right, Terry Sullivan, awesome to have you on Powerhouse Politics. Thanks for taking time to talk to us. Thanks for having me, guys. Have a great day. All right. So, Rick, you uh, wouldn't bite on the Jeb thing. I got, a, I got a little hunch, though, that I think that they actually wanted that endorsement. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. And, yeah, and yeah. I think they thought that. I mean, can you imagine just if you're Marco Rubio and you see – and you see Jeb Bush, you know, your one-time mentor go out, and, and now after all this, after he's gone, you're going to endorse Ted Cruz? I, I talked to people around that orbit, and the expectation was that they would get that endorsement. I was told that it was because Rubio started just falling off the map in the contest that came before Florida. They felt like he didn't have a shot, and I don't think Jeb wanted to throw kind of good money after bad, given the bad blood that was between them. And I don't think the relationship really was ever as close right, as maybe true. it was perceived to be. Uh, and I, I would also further go on to say, and to Terry point, I don't think that would have mattered. I mean, well, Marco Rubio I, I got blown out. He got blown I, out in I, Florida. Yeah, I, 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 I disagree. You I, think I, Jeb's I, endorsement is worth 20 points no, in Florida? No, I'm not saying that he would have suddenly won if Jeb Bush came out and said, I endorse Marco Rubio. But if he endorsed him rather quickly after dropping out, not waiting until the, right. the, the wheels completely came off in Florida, he could have helped him raise money. You know, Rubio was out of money uh, by the end of that race. And, you know, having the two of them, two you know, major figures in Republican Florida, you know, Florida Republican politics uh, making the case, I think would I think would have made a difference. I mean, you know, no, I mean, Trump would he won still probably. Anyway, I, can, can we try to figure out how this whole delegate thing works? Because I thought like, you know, you, 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 you run in a state, you get those delegates, those are your people, they go to the convention and but it, how does it work? Oh, I know everything about it. I I just can't tell you. Uh, you know, it's it's all proprietary information. Uh, <laughs> well, it's it's actually one of the one of the myths, and we'll talk about it in our guests in a second. One of the myths is that there actually are physical delegates right now. Most states hasn't even chosen them yet. They go. This is a, a long Byzantine process. 
All right, so we have on the line, I believe, Sasha Eisenberg with uh, with Bloomberg. Sasha, are you with us? Yes, I am. Thanks, guys. Uh, thanks a lot for joining us. You, you wrote what I, I think is one of the seminal pieces of this campaign on this delegate process because it, it kind of made it all clear that the stuff we've been covering actually might not even necessarily matter all that much because the actual people that are going to choose uh, the Republican nominee um, are chosen – First of all, each state has their own rules, and they're not necessarily chosen uh, as the voters are voting in these primaries. G- give, it, give us the overview. Yeah, so I, I would think of sort of two separate stages. We have the, the delegate allocation process, and this is what we're talking about every Tuesday night when we say that, you know, Donald Trump won nine delegates from, from Utah or whatever it is. And then there's the delegate selection process, and this is – uh, picking the individuals who will go and represent the states. Um, and most of them, the overwhelming majority, are required on the first ballot of a convention to reflect the will of the voters in their state or their congressional district, depending on, uh, as you say, John, the local rules. But um, most states start to free those delegates up after the first ballot. So in the scenario in which Donald Trump does not get the 1237 delegates on the first ballot, a lot of those become free agents. And as, as Terry suggested earlier, those are tend to be party people who are not going to be Trump uh, folks, who are more likely to be loyal to the head of the state party or the RNC committee person in their state or the Republican governor. Um, and if you get into that open convention situation where uh, they become free agents and free to either vote their conscience or cut a deal. You know, Trump is going to be operating at a at, at a huge disadvantage. Okay, but Sasha, what does it mean to be a bound delegate in the first place? If a delegate chooses to 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 just vote his or her conscience, what happens? To, does that vote exist? Do they get arrested? Is there like a delegate court that, that takes over? Like, what what yeah. happens if you don't actually do what the voters tell you you have to do? So, so this is an area of some uh, dispute among sort of party officials and lawyers. There is no enforcement mechanism to anything in the Republican rules. Um, so it is not the, – the general discussion that people have been having uh, operates under the assumption that bound delegates are actually bound. Um, there is not a mechanism that uh, would apply if uh, – it's clear to me if the uh, – you know – Take the example of South Carolina, where Trump won 50 delegates, all of them in the state on primary day. Uh, if the chairman of the South Carolina delegation got up and said, we're casting our 50 delegates for Paul Ryan, it would be against the state party rules. But there's, it's not clear to me that it, it's obvious what, what the party would be able to do to enforce that. It's, it's wild, though, because you have so, – so Trump has gotten 739 delegates so far. Uh, but what you're saying is that – there's no guarantee that any of those people are actual Trump supporters. And they may be bound to vote for him on that first ballot. But if we go multiple ballots, there's there's no guarantee that any of them. Well, we know Corey Lewandowski is a right. Ballot. He's a New Hampshire delegate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he's got one. He's, he's on board. Uh, but but um but but these are these could very quickly all become free agents. So we know that some of them are. So Illinois is an unusual state. Uh, it's what is called a loophole state in the in the jargon. And their individuals were on the ballot on. Uh, March 15th. And so you ran as Rick Klein, a Donald Trump delegate in Peoria, and voters in Peoria went and selected individual delegates. And so in that case, we know the names of the people and we know their loyalties. Um, And uh, Pennsylvania is a place where delegates will um, 
actually run themselves on the ballot. West Virginia also. But in most places, they're being selected through um, state party conventions, county conventions. Uh, in in Iowa, it's a four-step process that started a few weeks process. ago. It's, it's perfectly what? clear. It's a four-step process. <laughs> you know, and so you, you look at the thing that happened in Iowa. So on caucus night, um, after they took the presidential preference vote, which was the thing that we all covered that night, um, Republicans who stay, who stuck around at the whatever 1,681 caucus locations voted on their the, the, a caucus uh delegate to go to a county convention the county conventions were a couple of weeks ago so you could have All had 99 a, a, counties some of these are so remote that the only people that have been there are chuck grassley and rick Sanchez. that's right, right exactly okay. and and the county conventions are choosing delegates to the to congressional district conventions um and so those people who are filtering up are likely not necessarily trump people to, you know or, or cruise people for that matter it's whoever stuck around at the local party <laughs> precinct that night and then campaigns actively at one of these county conventions for the delegate role and so yeah they, they may even whether so, or not they're actually bound on the first ballot they're they're almost certainly not designed to reflect the will of of the voters who voted on caucus night okay so two two things before you go yeah. one, one you mentioned that there are very few rules about what these people can get in return for their vote. So once they're there, they're on the floor of the convention. These are actual delegates. If we go multiple ballots, everybody, these will become the most important people in the Republican universe. And uh, according to your article, there is nothing to say that, that they can't outright even sell their vote, let alone trade it for one thing or another. Is that is that correct? Yeah, I mean, you know, there are a few federal fraud rules that, that make it... <laughs> I mean, this is this is the area we're getting into, right, guys? Is that is it? Yes, you cannot actually you get into sort of the Blagojevich territory of as long as you don't explicitly promise a job in exchange for something. Um, yeah. But yeah, if if you go to a delegate from from South Carolina and you and you're you know Mitt Romney and you say, don't worry, there's going to be a place in your in my administration dealing with the important issues of health and of human services. Um, uh, you can probably offer that person a cabinet position in exchange for their vote. There's nothing, as I suggest in this piece, there's nothing that would stop you from saying, I'll pay for your airfare to Cleveland. You know, I mean, delegates go on their own dime. So right off the bat, they're, they're out a few thousand dollars. Yeah, we'll um, cover you. And, and by the way, in a hotel, no, nothing is more coveted than a good hotel room. Room uh, service. In Cleveland. Right. Yeah. So we'll take it. And, and you mentioned in your article the guys from the Northern Marianas Islands, nine delegates. It's very expensive to fly from there. I did. I priced out airfare in one yeah, of the, the yeah. more important pieces of political report I've done this year. <laughs> yes, yes. No, I mean, like, that's your question for Terry of what if you were running an, an anti Trump, stop Trump campaign and were focused on and, and decided to lay low for July. I, you know, one of the things I sort of mentioned is, yeah, you want to stockpile. I would create a super PAC that just existed to basically as a slush fund to find ways to, to pay off donors. And I would also <laughs> start doing an immense amount of research on who are these people as they get selected. What do they want? Are these people who would want a job, who would want a state party contract? And then start doing really granular research. They might not care as much about the presidential campaign as they do about making sure that their cousin is elected county commissioner. Start doing polling and tell them that Trump at the top of the ticket would would be a disaster for the county commission campaign. And I think that 
you know, it, that's where we'll start to see if the Stop Trump campaign knows how to run a convention game. So, Sa- Sasha, what, what do you think happens on the floor? First of all, name a couple of power brokers if we're talking about a brokering convention. Who are the people that could actually swing blocks of delegates? Do they even exist? And what kind of horse trading? What's the realm of possibilities that you could foresee? This is where the yeah. establishment, Rick, they Ooh, still the exist. establishment. Okay, they capital still, E, capital the power E establishment. Brokers, they still exist. I'm telling you. Yes, I, I, yeah, exactly. So I think, I think we should think about the national power brokers, the national establishment, and the state party ones. At the state party level, you know, the, to go back to the South Carolina example, um, the, the 50 delegates who are chosen, they may be supposedly bound to Trump. Um, they are going to be more likely loyal to Nikki Haley or to, you know, Tim Scott or Lindsey Graham, folks within the state party who are very aggressively anti-Trump. Um, and uh, I, I think that, that you could see in, a, in what seems like a very old-fashioned type of convention game, those people being able to deal, Nikki Haley being able to sit down and say, fine, if we give our 50 delegates to you, Mitt Romney, we get this in exchange. Um, uh, or Nikki Haley becomes your vice presidential candidate. Um, and that uh, at the federal, at the national level, um, the RNC, I, I think even if Donald Trump got 1237 delegates, um, if Reince Priebus was intent on using the rules of the convention process to deny him the nomination he could and the ultimate tra- the ultimate question for 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 the chairman and for other party officials is you know is stopping donald trump worth the uh utter conflagration for a week at the convention and spending the next five months and maybe years cleaning up after it but there are enough things that they can do uh, on rules challenging state contests i mean i you know i i looked at we saw the things in, in Arizona with the people waiting online for five hours, the state being called before before votes had been cast. Um, I can imagine somebody goes to the contest committee, which is a standing committee of the RNC, challenges Donald Trump's winner-take-all hall in Arizona on the basis that the, that the contest was poorly administered, um, puts up a rival slate, and then uses the credentials committee to take to deny the Donald Trump Arizona slate any entry into the convention and puts up a, say, pro-Romney slate in Arizona as well. It would be a disaster from a PR perspective, but I think that legally there are all sorts of tricks that, that you know, the RNC chairman will have. And, and, you know, it's worth remembering, you know, when we talk normally about who's the presumptive nominee of the party, mostly that's because the RNC hands over the keys to the convention to the person who's going to be the nominee. If we get to June 7th and there is not a presumptive nominee, that means that Reince Priebus gets to stack the committees, gets to choose the parliamentarian, gets to choose the sergeant at arms. And these are the people who, and the who basically interpret is back. The, the establishment is back. And they just have to yeah. decide whether or not it would be worth the pain and the suffering they would face if they were to deny Donald Trump if he comes in with, with a big plurality. So but before you go, just yeah. if you go back and you look at 1912, I mean, first of all, we had this kind of stuff, this, this stuff happened. But 1912, you had, uh, was the first year we really had state primaries. Ten different states uh, decided to choose their delegates through a, through a primary process. And this was, of course, Teddy Roosevelt pitted against the former, the former president, pitted against uh, the current president, uh, William Howard Taft. and His hand-picked successor. Yes. Yeah. And, and uh, Roosevelt won nine of the ten state contests. He won those votes. He won the state of Ohio, even though the Taft family owned Ohio. Roosevelt won Ohio. So he comes into that convention, and 
the, the chairman of that convention at that point was Elihu Root, who was a, a former Roosevelt mentor, but a solid party guy. And he did all the stuff you're talking about and threw it for Taft. Um, and uh, we know it ended up not actually working very well for the Republicans, but it was <laughs> yes. a great story and it was a great convention to cover. Um, all right, so we want to uh, get you back on and talking. We didn't get a chance to talk about Rule 40, which is Ooh, this great good. Can't Rule wait for that 40, one. Yes. <laughs> which I believe was, was that, which Federalist was that? Because that, that, that was a, was that, was that <laughs> yeah, Hamilton or a... This, this was actually the 11th, 11th part of the Bill of Rights. It's yeah, long yeah. forgotten yeah. now, but... Uh... Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, so we will, we'll have to get to that another time. But Sasha, uh, great reporting always, and it's a real Thanks, pleasure Charles. to have you on Paros Politics. Thanks, guys. Good talking with you. So, uh, I, do you understand it now? I'm all good. I, you know, here's the thing is that even the people that are pretending to understand it won't actually know what happens in practice uh, because of all of the different parliamentary things you can do, all of the different games that can get played, and, and some of it very much above board. And none of this has happened. I don't know if you knew this, but like 1912, Twitter wasn't around yet. Um, <laughs> really? Yeah. So, uh, it was, you know, Periscope? Was very that? few people with smartphones on the floor. I mean, this is going to be a totally different ballgame. It's never happened in this media age. And of course, now all of the states have these nominating contests. You'd have millions and millions of Americans that could potentially feel disenfranchised if their guy who got more votes and more delegates, if that is Donald Trump, uh, ends up being an engineer around him. We're, we only have a few minutes left, but I believe we have on the phone somebody that could actually give us the perspective that we need right now, which is the perspective from the from the Trump camp. Do we have Barry Bennett on the line with us? Hey, guys. How are you doing, sir? Now, you, now you, you uh, were, uh, of course, with, uh, with Ben Carson, and now you are with Donald Trump. And I imagine you're spending a little bit of time thinking about what happens uh, after these primaries are over. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the, the wisest thing we can do is, is what we're spending most of our resources on is just getting to 1237, and all of this is for not. But, you know, I think right now we're on path to get 1450, 1460, uh, which is great, and we just need to execute and get to 1237. But then, you know, we're also preparing for what happens if we don't. But um, I think the likelihood of a second ballot is very small, I think, the, you know, if you don't have 1237 going into the 40 days before the convention, you know, then there's a lot of uh, deal-making to be done to get to 1237 before the convention starts. Uh, and then, of course, you know, you've got the first three days of the convention, which would be phase two of Nightmare One. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then you, you start the balloting. So, um, Barry... Wh- and, you know, and, and the other thing people haven't talked about, Barry, assuming there was a second ballot, it's not like it occurs 15 minutes later. It could be days. <laughs> we are, we're uh, already, we've already been advised to keep our hotel rooms in Cleveland maybe for a couple extra days, even though we're supposed to be in Philadelphia for the <laughs> That was That was the, that actually came from the greater Cleveland. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the Jay will exactly, exactly. exactly. catch an Indians game, too. But, Barry, so what are you doing now to reach out to these folks? Leaving aside the, the, the whole strategy around trying to win primaries and caucuses, take that as a given. You try to get as many pledged delegates as possible. What are you doing now to talk to the actual men and women who are going to populate the Republican National Convention to make sure that they are on board, that they learn the rules? What kind of communications are you having now with them? Well, you have, con- you have constant con- communications with your delegates. Uh, you also have, you know, Marco Rubio had delegates in 21 different states and territories. And are they all up for grabs uh, Every now? state and I mean, territory just... has a different rule on how what happens to them. Some of them immediately become free agents. Some of them, you know, you know, he said suspend and not quit. So it triggers a whole other thing. Um, so there's a whole process there just for those delegates. But then you also have the Carson delegates and the Bush delegates and that kind of stuff. Um, but then you've got these unpledged delegates. Um so, you know, you, you, you try to learn as much as you can about everybody. 
figure out what makes them tick, what it is they, you know, think is important, that the party do. You know, most of them, you know, they want things like, you know, changes in the platform or, you know, visit my state, come speak at a fundraiser in my state, help us, you know, fund our party, that kind of stuff. It's not uh, nearly as... Uh, Bad is you know I want a job. Sure, uh, it's much yeah, much much more pedestrian. I get that. But so, are you trying to poach the available delegates now to say, listen, I know you were a Rubio or a Carson delegate, but you come on board. Are you are you talking to them now to try to get them on board for even for a first ballot? Yeah, I mean, you know, we we measure their woo ability, if you will. <laughs> if they want, if they will, if they can be wooed, they're going to get wooed, and they're going to get to know Donald Trump. Wow, and and what's your sense about you know if if you get to this the the second ballot, third ballot? I mean, this this is a a point as as you you heard the others. I mean, there, there's a real there's a real chance that a lot of those so-called Trump delegates are not going to be really loyal to Trump necessarily. Uh, what what, what well, would nine hundred uh, nine hundred delegates are are bound to be on the first ballot? Yeah. So got, some of those you know, just for the second ballot, right? Chunk. Yeah. Yeah. So there's still a huge chunk that have to have to vote as they were, as the voters instructed them. Um, but you know, here, here's where I think that suddenly Ted Cruz finds out he has no friends because um, you know they all want to use him to try to get to a second ballot. But then the second ballot comes and everyone will be going Ted who because <laughs> uh, they're going to run off and try to find their own ticket. Um, so you know it's uh, going to be a nasty wake up call I think for Mr. Cruz. But uh, you know. I, I think the likelihood of this happening is pretty, pretty small. So but to, to that end, Barry, uh, we mentioned with Sasha briefly Rule 40, which we didn't fully explain, but that's the rule that was put in place in the 2012 convention that says to even have your name considered by the convention, to have your put, name put into nomination, you need to have won a majority of delegates in eight states. Uh, that would limit the options under all realistic scenarios to only Donald Trump and Ted Cruz. Cruz isn't quite there yet, but he'll get there. Donald Trump is well past eight. W- would it be your preference, the Trump campaign's preference, to keep that rule in place, or would you want to see uh, maybe a loosening of that so that other names could potentially be put into nomination if it gets to that second, third, fourth ballot? No, uh, you know, uh, Rule 40B was uh, authored by founding father Ben Ginsburg. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the patron saint of right. conventions, yeah, yeah. as it is. Yeah. One of the unknown federalists. Right. Um, but, um, uh, you know, I mean, those are the rules we're operating on. We're not interested in changing the rules midstream. Uh, you know, right now we're the only candidate that has won the majority of the delegates in eight states, and it's possible that we would be the only candidate uh, that gets eight states. So, so Barry, uh, do you feel like the fix is in? I mean, is it your sense that the Republican Party is trying to work against Donald Trump? We've heard Mr. Trump hint at that along the way, that he doesn't feel like he's being treated fairly, that it's not just calling balls and strikes. You have Paul Ryan out there calling out the rhetoric. He'll be, of course, the chairman of the committee. The only candidate that he's called out directly has been Donald Trump. You have Reince Priebus, of course. Uh, he's, he's the person that's going to be in the, in the chair, and uh, he's, he's been critical along the way of Donald Trump. Do you think the fix is in and that, that, that the party would like to take this from Donald Trump? I don't think the party is necessarily uh, involved. But, I mean, the K Street crowd, you know, the cumulative blood pressure is way out. Uh, and, you know, so they're definitely searching for, for ways. But, you know, they're being unrealistic. I mean, they've been unrealistic through this whole process. They still don't understand what's going on. I mean, you know, in Pennsylvania alone since January 1st, 50,000 Democrats have switched parties. I mean, we're watching, well, we're not watching because we're talking about it, but an unprecedented migration to the Republican Party. 
Uh, and, you know, that could be very helpful. Uh, and if you look at, you know, Donald Trump doesn't do his eight points behind Hillary Clinton. Yeah, but if you dive deeper in it, it's just because the four or four Republicans are saying they're going to vote for John Kasich or Jeb Bush or Marco Rubio or somebody else. But come home. They always do. Trust me, I've been there. <laughs> right. Well, uh, we, we'll see. I, I, I do. I have to say that there are Republicans who you hear that are that are certainly no fans of Donald Trump that 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 uh, do think that it's possible that he actually ends up being good for the party in the fall, at least in comparison to uh, to Ted Cruz. But uh, there there is no uh, <laughs> the the opinions on that are unanimous. I don't think I don't think there's anybody out there. I mean, Jeb Bush does not want Ted Cruz to be president. Yeah. Right? Jeb Bush wants Ted Cruz to stop Donald Trump on the first ballot so that he or somebody like him can be president. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, so too cute by half. So, uh, Barry, thank you for joining us on Power Us Politics. We'll keep in touch with you as we go forward, and uh, we'll certainly look forward to, uh, to hanging with you in Cleveland. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Barry. So, uh, so Rick, I mean, it's only begun. I mean, they, 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 these guys—they're—they're they're all trying to read these rule books and figure out how it works. It's fascinating that you, to engage in the conversations now with the the two thousand plus people. It's like it'll be like a giant caucus. It'll be like you—you're you, going to the gymnasium in Iowa, and you've got these two thousand plus people who, you know, some of whom have never been to a convention before, others of whom this is like their tenth convention, and. They're there to be wooed and they're to be discussed and they're going to have to learn about the rules along the way. It's going to be unbelievable. Now, Barry was talking about getting 1,450 delegates by the end. I don't I don't think that's going to be in the cards, but it's uh, uh, it's going to be a real race to uh, yeah. to 1237. And I don't I don't know that he gets there. Well, I mean, he's the he only one who can. I mean, that's that's relevant. That's too. clear. And what to me is what's more interesting. I mean, if he gets the 1237 plus, I think he's going to be the nominee pretty clearly. But let's say he's at 1200 or 1100. He's still going to be hundreds ahead of anyone else. Do you say? I don't care the guy got more votes than anyone by a couple million. I don't care that he has 500, 300 more we'll delegates than anyone else. We're still going to take it away from him. That's risky. So we had a lot else we wanted to talk about. <laughs> we were out of time. I mean, the, the one thing is we had that a remarkable uh, uh, editorial board interview that uh, Donald Trump had with the Washington yeah. Post editorial board. Um we just we just don't have the time. It's okay. Have... We'll we'll get to it. We'll get to it all. Look, this was this was one of those unusual weeks. You had you had voting, then split decision in two states. You had the two states, two faces of the Republican Party there in Arizona and Utah. One saying yes, Trump. The other saying no way, Trump. All playing out at the same time. By the way, Hillary lost more states than she won this week. It has just been a fascinating year. And now to even begin the discussions of a brokered convention, of a contested convention, to be able to talk about 1912, it's relevant. My favorite election, it's really. I wish I could go back and cover that one. All right. Well, that's all the time we have. This is Powerhouse Politics. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week, and maybe we can play some of the sound from that editorial board meeting. I think that one's going to live on. Bring it on. It sounds good to me. Thanks, John. All right.